Welcome back to Mariana Thinks Food. I've had the great privilege this year to interview a number of people I admire. Their insight into the world of food, business, and innovation has, to my great pleasure, kept my listeners engaged. This today is a different kind of episode. It is the last I will publish in 2022. Why, you may ask? Well, I have been working in stealth mode myself. I have been incubating a human, and a hard launch is impending, for which I will take some time to adapt and recalibrate. Today's episode is called Incubating a Human. If you think it sounds unromantic, well, that's just me. To define incubating is to give support and aid the development of something, to develop slowly without outward signs. A post-pandemic world has allowed for this, as we work behind screens in the confines of our homes or remote locations. Nevertheless, it has been a Mariana Thinks Food journey that I would like to share. As a self-proclaimed nerd and researcher, I took on this journey as if I were, in fact, incubating a company that would soon launch. Not one of those soft opening kind of businesses, but a hard launch, waterfall method, go big or go, well, no alternative kind of business. Agile doesn't work here. You cannot iterate, start small, plan again. This is it. You move forward and you roll with the punches. So as I intertwine my story with what I have learned, I hope to help others become aware of how bananas incubating a human can be. My heart goes out to anyone struggling with fertility, and if you think this topic might trigger feelings, please stop it listening and take a breather. As for my journey, here goes. Mariana thinks food was born because all I think about is food, nutrition and health being a constant focus in my everyday life. Little did I know I would spend months trying to keep food down. Beyond the first trimester, incubating became easier. Yes, you grow, literally and figuratively sideways and forwards, in ways you've never thought possible. Your body is tired and working on overdrive. Then there are all the shouldn'ts. You shouldn't drink too much coffee, eat too much sugar, eat raw meats or unpasteurized cheeses, no smoking or alcohol. Those are no-brainers. You shouldn't do too much exercise, but you shouldn't do too little. You should sleep, but first you need to find a way to sleep. You should do this, you should do that, you shouldn't do this, you should do that. Never before as an adult have I been made feel like I was new at this whole human thing poked, pricked, and prodded on the regular to check if my health was okay, if my weight was on track, and what things I could have done wrong in the process. The consequences of my everyday meal decisions resulting in possible fetal misconfiguration, malnutrition, and or death. So much fear is communicated to expecting mothers that many become overwhelmed and stop eating anything at all. All the while going through the emotional roller coaster that an influx of hormones provides. A complete mess. The confusion is real, and I'm even certified to serve food on a professional level. So I learned all these things. What not to do, what, how to prepare food safely, how to clean vegetables as you should so you don't get toxoplasmosis, what happens if you get listeria or botulism, and who is at risk? Usually children, elderly, and pregnant women. So now that I was in this at-risk population, what did that mean for me? The internet is overflowing with information, which can be overwhelming, and everything can result in a negative outcome. It's all based on probabilities, and even if the probability is 1 in 1,000, you start thinking, do I really want to take the risk? A lot of guidelines change by country and region, and decisions need to be made on an individual level, considering your individual needs. 
But as far as nutrition goes, my courses and research have taught me that before you even think about having children, there are a few things that you must do. Eat a well-rounded diet, do some exercise, and be in a good mental state. These are the basics, which are basics for anything in life. It's the ideal state of your body. But for the sake of this podcast, I will focus on a couple elements. So supplementation and just quality of food. I will start with the case of folate and folic acid. The supplement you probably never heard of until you start on this reproductive journey. Why are folate and folic acid important during pregnancy? First off, the demand for nutrients in the body increases between 20 and 50%. Folate, the generic term for a group of water-soluble B vitamins, including folic acid and naturally occurring folates, is involved in the synthesis in DNA and RNA, which carry genetic information that allow for normal cell division and growth. As you may expect while growing a human, these things are essential, and adequate consumption has been linked to a reduction in the preventable spina bifida, a neural tube defect that happens around the spine. It's universally acknowledged that it's needed. But how much do you need? Generic governmental dietary recommendations from the US to the UK to Europe are to consume at least five servings of fruits and or vegetables a day. This should provide enough folate for normal embryonic development. But because on average this doesn't happen, the recommendation is to take supplements from at least one month prior to conception until the end of the first trimester. I corroborated this insight with the prenatal vitamins I was recommended by my doctor, divided into three stages, stage one for pre-pregnancy and first trimester, containing 800 micrograms of folic acid, while stage two for the second and third trimesters, the micrograms dropped to 400. Interestingly enough, my nutrition course recommended only 400 micrograms in stage one with an upper limit of 800 micrograms, while the U.S. National Institutes of Health sets the absolute upper limit at 1,000 micrograms. Just for your info, folate naturally occurs in food, folic acid is what is found in supplements and has a higher rate of absorption than folate. If in addition to these supplements, I would then eat the following foods and quantities in a day, such as two eggs, two cups of spinach, half a cup of avocado, eight spears of asparagus, half a cup of kidney beans, five ounces of salmon, and one small orange, I would consume an additional 470 micrograms of folate. This means that on a daily basis, I would exceed my upper limit by around 50%. Is this good, bad, or not an issue? Well, the internet is a magical place, and here's what I found. When you consume folate from foods, you are not at risk of side effects because you cannot overconsume them. When you overconsume folate in the form of folic acid supplements, then you can open the door to mental decline in adults, slower brain development in children, potential insulin resistance in children, and like every Google search leads you, potential for cancer. Moral of the story, look at your food choices and make an informed decision about your supplement intake. Don't take two prenatal vitamins because you think it would be better. In my case, I would have been grossly going over my daily limit of folic acid. And for what? Future brain fog for me and my future child? No, thank you. Plus, supplements tend to be quite expensive, so definitely not worth it. I have found that in this popular food supplement world we're living in, somehow we think more is more. What is true is that advances in science and nutrition have led us to dietary recommendations that successfully prevent diseases. 
like spina bifida. What is not true is that you should take supplements without considering your overall lifestyle. I mentioned these points because I've talked to a lot of pregnant women over the past nine months, and a lot of them are supplementing with extra things because they read something online saying, I need to drink omega-3s and do this and that. And in the end, you can be causing more harm than good. No one will stop you at the pharmacy when you're buying $100 or euros worth of vitamins. It's your call. It's your responsibility. In the case of supplementation, there are other vitamins and minerals that are constantly present in prenatal vitamins. As mentioned before, your nutrient needs increase by 20 to 50%, but your calorie needs might only increase around 15%, and that is closer to the last trimester. So eating for two is not a thing, but having to make sure you consume more nutrients per calorie is a thing. How do you do this if you feel like you are lost at sea on a life raft the size of your couch? The honest answer is it's a struggle. If you're a part of the fortunate few who have no side effects in the first trimester, then you must thank the universe. But if you are part of the majority, you will be in a constant battle between under and over consumption. So prenatal vitamins are your friend. Among the things that happen to a changing body, your blood flow increases. Naturally, keeping iron levels high becomes a priority. Iron is necessary to deliver oxygen to tissues and break down fats and carbohydrates in cells. You get this tested regularly throughout the pregnancy. It's found in red meat, beans, and nuts. But sometimes people need to be supplemented in addition to foods and the prenatal vitamins because it's a lot of stress on your system. Other supplements include iodine, which is needed to produce the thyroid hormone that is needed for proper bone and brain development, also found in seaweeds, cod, and yogurt. And then you're developing another brain, so omega-3s are important. EPA and DHA, you've probably heard of if you've listened to my other podcasts, become more prominent and important in the second and third trimesters. The NHS, the UK's health service, recommends not more than one gram of EPA and DHA combined, while the US's National Institutes of Health sets the omega-3 recommended amount at 1.4 grams, including ALA, DHA, and EPA. Conclusion, supplementing some and then consuming fish, seafood, nuts, and some plant oils aim for cold pressed, would get you to where you need to go. Overconsumption has not proven to be harmful, aside from bad breath and fishy burps, but also your baby will not be smarter if you take extra rations of this expensive supplement. So you're better off just eating tasty food. Then there is the vitamin alphabet. At a high level, vitamin A for eyes, also found in sweet potatoes, spinach, carrots, and pumpkin. The B vitamins for energy releasing or blood forming, found in salmon and tuna and beef. Vitamin C and E to protect against oxidative damage, also called antioxidants. Vitamin C can be found in raw fruits and vegetables, such as raw red and green peppers, kiwi, broccoli, strawberries, Brussels sprouts, and the classic scurvy reliever oranges. Vitamin E is found in sunflower seeds, almonds, and peanuts. Aim for seeds and cold-pressed oils. Then there's vitamin D, sun vitamin is used to regulate calcium and phosphorus metabolism. It's crucial in bone formation, and it's found in salmon, tuna, and eggs. Then you have a few more minerals that are prominent. So zinc, an essential element for hundreds of proteins in the body, including numerous enzymes and DNA-binding proteins, which are found in beef, oats, and pumpkin seeds. And magnesium, needed to regulate muscle and nerve function, blood sugar levels, and blood pressure in making protein, bone, and DNA. 
a lot of things <laughs> that can be found in leafy greens, lentils, and nuts. More likely than not, you will find all of these in prenatal vitamins. Doesn't matter the brand, doesn't matter the price. They will be there in different quantities and different percentages. And you make a decision of what works for you with your budget and also with use recommended for you by your doctor or pregnancy nutritionist. And I urge you, before taking extras and start taking 15 pills a day, make sure you look at the values and consume with care. Please, more is not more. And if you're able to, try to exceed the five daily fruits and vegetables. That for sure will not hurt. Even though there are fear-mongering websites that say, well, you shouldn't be eating raw fruits and vegetables because you might get toxoplasmosis or you might get some bacteria if you don't clean it properly. I encourage you to learn how to clean your fruits and vegetables. And if you just want to be a bit safer, just don't buy pre-made bags of salads and uh, pre-washed vegetables. Wash them at home, peel your carrots. You should be fine. Notwithstanding, Usually in the US and in Europe, you will be te constantly tested for toxoplasmosis to make sure that um, if you get it during your pregnancy, you can take antibiotics to avoid any long lasting effects to your child. And that's with fresh food. But not all food is created equal. And we have an abundance of foods in grocery stores and convenience stores at restaurants. How do we make choices that are good for us? Well, as long as you have a balanced diet, which is a bit arbitrary, then you should be fine. You shouldn't stress. But I will make a case against highly processed foods. I find it funny how some companies are now trying to re-educate consumers by differentiating between processed and ultra-processed foods in order to align themselves with a healthier image. Processed foods, by definition, are foods that have been altered in some way which can include freezing, canning, chopping, cleaning, etc. How we talk about them colloquially is more aligned to heavily processed or ultra-processed foods, which have been altered to last longer on supermarket shelves and pantries alike, or have added flavors and textures. You know what I'm talking about. Ice creams, chips, cookies, protein bars, someone had to say it, among other foods. Heavily processed foods last longer because they are less appealing to pests. That is pretty much the basic point. Their lower nutrient content is not as appealing as higher nutrient counterparts. Think about it. If mold doesn't even want to grow on it, should you be eating a lot of it? Knowing this and navigating the roller coaster of nausea and food aversions during pregnancy is hard. There were days I could only eat yogurt or bread. The smell of certain foods repelled me. As someone who loves food, not being able to open the fridge out of disgust was truly surprising. But I tell you because it happens, and no matter how much you know and how much willpower you have to be as healthy as possible, your body has a mind of its own, and nothing would have made my behavior change. I was counting the days to feel better, unable to see the light at the end of the tunnel. But I was comforted in the fact that I was taking my supplements, making an effort to the foods that I could eat I was trying to go for less processed foods. Hey, I bake my own bread. Bernard is my four-year-old sourdough starter. And if I eat bread, I eat a sourdough that I have baked myself. I slice it, I freeze it, and I enjoy it. No guilt. And I had faith that once my appetite would come back, 
I would be able to eat the things that I would normally eat. Fruits, vegetables, fish, meats, etc. This is a journey after all. So no one decision will ever affect the end result. Like in business, there are multiple pieces at play. And you can be the most precise cook and clean every single vegetable and not eat anything that is raw and be very, very safe and still get sick or still have a different outcome. So if there is anything that I can share is inform yourself, make educated decisions and be comfortable that you're doing your best and the likelihood of something bad happening is not that high because we wouldn't be so many people in this universe if things would constantly be going wrong. Think about it. Everyone that is around you at any given time was incubated, born, raised, and has a life. The odds are in your favor. And I know I'm a bit philosophical. Now I'm a few days from lunch. I feel empowered by my research from breaking down the supplements I need to reading books like Expecting Better by Emily Oster based on pregnancy statistics to taking hypnobirthing classes, which to my surprise did not include hypnosis, unfortunately. Like starting a company, you do not know how the launch will go, nor how your customer will react. I can only have faith in all the work that I have put in, eating a balanced diet, moving often, and keeping sane. Always good whether the outcome is successful or not. What do you think? A learning experience at the very least. I hope this information and my journey can be helpful for some of you. If anything, I hope you can save yourself from overconsuming supplements and seek foods that will help you grow human and keep you healthy. After all, without the founder, how would the incubation even begin? As I look forward, I hope to learn, adapt, and evolve so that I can continue pursuing my passion of learning, communicating, and advising in the food space. As I rest my hands on my beach ball side's belly, I acknowledge how deeply blessed I have been, and I am truly thankful of your time and ears. I look forward to future episodes in 2023 when I'm not out of breath. Until next time, wish me luck. (laughs) 